0: You can use that analogy anywhere um, in terms of finding the middle. In the case of, as an example of polyamorous relationships, there are different people that do this, um, do it differently. So we believe in striking the balance between the safety and the nervous system of one partner and the freedom of the other partner. So we, we back out of that corner We look around and we see that there are other options out there, too. And we're like, all right, what feels like that sweet middle between protecting my partner's nervous system and taking responsibility, having the ability to respond to my partner's trauma, abandonment, trauma, jealousy, whatever you want to call it, and still have the freedom to explore all the experiences that allow me to grow and heal and be in service to other people.
1: I think we're ready to do the thing. Listen, listen into some Johnny Cash beforehand before introducing episode six here of season five. We'll say with whom in a moment. Yeah, I was uh, going over there. I almost played it again. Girl from the North Country. Just listened to that a few times to get in the right headspace. I think I'm in it because I think we're going to do the th- I think we're going to do the intro now. That's what's happening. <laughs> so, as I hear somebody in the hallway, <laughs> it's late here. We got burning the midnight oil here. Night shift here at Coru. Mm. I know these intros don't always have to be a state of the union. Believe me, I do. Somebody recently just um, referred to me as "it's quite the talker. And uh, it, it caught me by surprise. Like, Yeah, I guess I have become quite a talker. And I didn't used to be, <laughs> I don't think I used to be, um, my my memory is that I wasn't, but right now I guess there's a lot to talk about, there's a lot to discuss, there's a lot to be aware of and to bring awareness to, um, I'm just doing my little part and, and it's flowing, so we're excited and we're passionate to be creating this and everything else and um, that's just the way it is for now. I don't think it's gonna be permanent. In fact, I don't want it to be. Eventually, eventually it would be nice to have uh, more of a routine where it's just about being outside with uh, the pigs and the cows and the buffalo. And, and I realize you probably, you can't necessarily have all of those at the same place, perhaps. Um, maybe you can, maybe you can't. And the donkeys and the goats, who knows? But And obviously the, the land and a lot of quiet and listening to, of course, the birds and the crickets. Uh, Honestly, I guess The Biggest Little Farm, if you ever saw that movie, that's kind of the the dream for me, moving in that direction and moving Koru in that direction, quite frankly. And in that vein, the talking, talking, talking will be less necessary, less relevant. And uh, I think once that's obvious, uh, it'll change. I won't be as, I won't be as big a talker. (laughs) There won't be as much to chit chat about maybe. And then we'll just make music like Bob and Johnny. God damn it. Hopefully it'll be like Bob and Johnny or at least Johnny. Admittedly, I'm more of a Johnny guy than a Bob guy. Bob Dylan's good, but I really prefer Johnny Cash. So communication is the key to this episode, and that's why I'm allowing myself to ramble a little bit more. And you know we've been laying out these episodes thus far this season with more specificity than ever structure. And we've been building on this foundation and this helpful alliteration of context, connectivity, continuity, creativity, chaos and now communication slash community. And we've done community. We're doing communication with that. And then new context. The focus for this one is definitely community and communication because Shai Fishman and Leah Aiella, I don't know if I said that right. I apologize, Leah, (laughs) are the founders, creators of the Secure Poly Collective and Leveled Up Love. Now, we don't talk about those in great detail in the episode and i'm giving a longer intro for them because we go right into it but what that if that wasn't clear (laughs) means is that shy and leah are well here's exactly how they refer to it their focus is to empower you with communication and sexuality tools for ethical polyamory and conscious non-monogamy And that is all right there on the World Wide Web. Go to www.leveleduplove, or their Facebook page, Leveled Up Love. um, And you will see all of their information and wisdom and uh, expertise regarding creating secure and loving open relationships. Intrigued? (laughs) So I'm going to read more or less a little bit about what they actually uh, didn't say, or well, there was some of it, but it wasn't introduced and and we actually acknowledge in the episode that I need to provide a pretty thorough introduction. So that's what's happening here. And I'm going to read, I'm going to skim through some of this, there's about six paragraphs of information here that gives a lot of context. Uh, I don't think I need to say this, but I'm going to just in case um, this episode is not taking it. There's no, well, this is just a conversation and there is, it's a great conversation. And Shai and Leah are coming to Koru uh, to share a lot of what they have to share with regard to communication specifically on March 23rd. So we're actually pushing to get this episode out earlier as as in reference to the event on march 23rd and i i don't think this needs to be said but just for the few of you who may be laughing or like what the that's a very unique topic there's just this is just information this is just really really important information and there's really nothing more to it Listen to the episode and I think you'll know where I'm coming from with that. Um, in other words, there's no agenda, but it's kind of boring to point all that out. And if you're just intrigued, then listen. I'm personally not in any way uh, in engaged in polyamory, but I like where Shay and Leah and the people that I've met through them and because of them are coming from. I really like them, there's so much to clearly learn from them and with them, and I don't think there's much more that needs to be said, that's, that's it. So I could just go right into the episode, but <laughs> because we just launch quickly into the actual chit-chat, um, I'm going to read a little bit more. Actually, first I need to mention something really important. Because there's no way you're going to be good at communicating if you haven't had your coffee. And I think that's, that's objective. I'm pretty sure that's, that's a fact. I don't think the literature has um, been, you know, studied. I, I don't know if it's been studied accurately, but I'm pretty sure that good communication and coffee go hand in hand. So on that note, make sure you go to Native Cafe, all right? It's where all the good communicators go. Whatever their sexual orientation or preferences or uh, curiosities. Native Cafe. That was for you, Jay. <laughs> Native Cafe, the uh, the Diverse Sexual Crowds Cafe. There you go. I think that's a good tag language. Put that probably in a banner right on Mainstream. <laughs> um, all right. There's one of the sponsors, Native Cafe. All right, here, here's basically the verbatim uh, text with respect to what Shai and Leah are sharing. So they started their polyamorous relationship a few years ago. Um, they say exactly when in the episode. And they were, of course, unclear on a lot at the time. So they definitely had a hard time. They didn't understand fully what it meant to have needs and how to have your needs met with or without the context of open relating and open relationship and needless to say they had a lot to learn along the way so that's why they're bringing what they've learned specifically to koru and this pod and this podcast is a little teaser and intro to that um they have learned a lot i guarantee it i have no question so you will learn with them on march 23rd They created Leveled Up Love based on everything that they'd learned. And now, today, they're considered two of the go-to people for ethical non-monogamy education. They have built literally a worldwide brand. It includes community, dating, events, education, coaching. And their mission is to simply help partners thrive. Yes, often, if not mostly. No, that's the same thing. (laughs) Mostly in conscious, open relationships, but their tools are universal. Um, do, do, do 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 they see ethical non-monogamy as a vehicle for deep and healthy, deep health healing and personal growth? <clears throat> I understand where they're coming on from on that one quite a bit, especially because you have to deal with attachment, no matter what. And that's true in a, any relationship you have to deal with. Uh, what has increasingly become more and more popular to describe as attachment styles and quote-unquote love languages, how to have boundaries, How to, and of course, no matter what, communicate. Um, you can tell that I didn't... I don't want to row off the script here as always. I think I'll leave it at that. Yeah, the rest is relatively redundant for the sake of introducing... Shy and Leah. So, (laughs) it's a really good conversation. It was fun. They can, any question that is worth asking, I'm pretty sure we got into it and there will be more. And again, the event on March 23rd is not about polyamory, but without a doubt, do you, can you come with curiosity about that? Absolutely. It's focus, the focus is communication. Um, the current uh, sort of header, if you will, or tagline is, um, do, do, we just changed it. <laughs> We've been talking about, uh, where it is that. oh my gosh, there we go. We've been talking about it as being something going from rupture to repair. No matter what, it's about healing and providing tools uh, for any kind of relationship. And that if you haven't picked up on it, the fact that communication is pretty necessary for everybody, even you in relationship to you, well, then allow me to be the first to tell you that communication is pretty important, even with respect to your relationship with yourself. And if you don't, know that and don't understand that and want to understand more of that or even if you do know that and you just want to understand more of that, March 23rd here at KORU be here. And with that I think I've said enough except well, I'll mention the sponsors in the outro (laughs) needless to say our sponsors are the best thanks everybody alright enjoy the episode and go enjoy uh Tiny cash too. Can't hurt. Ta-ta. Mm. There it is. Sha, so I wanted to mention first and foremost your big day. How was it? Was it relevant?
2: I had a big day. You're really bad. <laughs> on my birthday.
1: <laughs> <laughs> some care, some don't. I know it's not necessarily important for everybody. Was it a big yeah, deal for you? I, I had a
0: nice day because I'm 48 going on eight for the record. And I got to drive go karts and my son beat me and then I beat him. And we did laser tag and arcades and had an eight joules pizza. So what else is there in life besides those things?
1: <laughs> that sounds really good. Where did you go go karting? I I, I Oh,
0: um Speed Raceway is has been around for a while in uh in, in Horsham. Okay. You didn't go, Leah?
2: Oh no, I went. Oh, okay. And I kind of dominated in laser tags. So it was also felt like my birthday too.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Are you going on eight as well?
2: <laughs> no. <laughs> it comes to
1: laser tags. She takes it seriously. <laughs> She's an eight year old in laser more tag. More of
2: a sharp shooter, you know, very serious pursuit. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> it is fun. I got to get Griffin over there. Well, happy birthday. Seemed like an appropriate place to start. Thank you, brother. And you're very welcome um so of course we just warmed up a little bit we'll talk about the event that you're going to be doing here but the more relevant one i think is what's coming up shortly and of course we just acknowledged it'll have already passed perhaps when people hear this but it's still worth talking about and that is relate fest i think you two can probably introduce that a lot better than me it seems like the big the big topic right now for your world is that fair to say one of them,
0: yeah. I mean, I think that our community leveled up love, um, is my biggest project, but relate fest is a collaboration between our big Facebook group leveled up love and two other communities, the Esther Perel discussion group and we deepen. So the three of us, um, uh, you know, community organizers, online community organizers, uh, got together and said, why don't we create something called Relate RelateFest? Um, it actually originated because one of the organizers just wanted to have a simple meetup for her group because they'd been running this Facebook group for six years and they've got like 13 or 14,000 people in that group. And she reached out to me and said, why don't we collaborate on this? And then it became an actual event, just like that, just out of the idea of just meeting up with Facebook friends. <laughs>
1: nice. But I wasn't sure if uh, it would be appropriate to bring up that name, but since you just did Esther Perel, that's a relatively big name, of course. And you (laughs) you guys, so she
0: she runs her discussion (laughs) she runs her discussion group. It's not Esther Perel herself. Um, It's kind of like the fan club, if you will. And yeah, so Relate Fest is for people who are endlessly curious about relationships, who love to geek out, and just like Leah and I, spend all day talking about the. The dynamics of, of relating, the, the the ups and downs, and all the things having to do with relationships and attachment and all that. So, Relate Fest is going to be um, inclusive of, I think, about 16 presenters and guides and performers. And we're going to be um, flying down to the Miami area, actually, Aventura, Florida to be exact, staying at a beautiful resort. And taking up, uh, putting our energy into two different hotels while we're down there. And just having um, everything from education to play to performance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Leah's actually going to sing with her beautiful Mm -hmm. swan voice. And I'm really looking for, she'll be opening the event and closing the event with song and lots of really juicy things to look forward to. What are you
1: singing? Do you know? Um, or?
2: I do. I'm singing two songs from the ceremonial medicine song world, uh, something by Danit and um, uh, Paya, two one-named people. But uh, one is called Blessed We Are, and that's a very popular song in the ceremony space. And I'm really, really excited to bring that into a space that's not so shamanic.
1: (laughs) So, I did not foresee that being the answer but that makes sense so a long while ago i used to listen to icaros a lot but i'm guessing that's not exactly
2: it's not exactly the same yeah Um, Yeah. but it's it's kind of like a like ceremonial pop
1: (laughs) (laughs) sounds nice yeah we'll be recorded maybe be able to hear it uh if you're not at the event we're gonna have a videography and and photography that's a good question we'll
0: We'll definitely want to add that to our list of uh, things to capture. If not, I'll be capturing it on my phone. But um, yeah, the event itself is uh, is March 4th through 6th. You may be listening to this afterwards, but um we're gonna be ha- we're gonna be holding other events in the future. So a lot of the information can be found at leveleduplove.com. But this particular event is relatefest.com. I imagine the webpage will still be up. And we're gonna have such a eclectic group of presenters, everything from attachment theory experts to BDSM and kink for healing trauma and relationships to Tantra to an erotic eating workshop. (laughs) Um, We'll be talking about open relationships. We'll have presenters for that. We'll have um, just uh, a really like a real good blend of of talks and workshops and a lot of social time. There's a water park there. It's like a fancy resort. So we'll be like golf course, water park, hiking, biking, laser tag, uh, laser tag. <laughs> we need to find laser tag. There. You
1: might have to buy them a, down there.
0: Add laser tag. <laughs> <laughs> buy
1: some Nerf guns when you get down there. There you go. That's what we're missing. I mean, so you we're, can't I mean, fly with Nerf guns, believe it or not. Oh, uh, <laughs> no, I you. Know I. You tried. I've, I made the mistake. I'm going to go
2: repack. my. I have items. made the mistake.
1: <laughs> yeah. I have no idea what the rationale is, Uh, but yeah, you can't fly with an well, you, gun. Well,
0: you just made me realize that's what was missing. There's no relationship that like, like relate. That doesn't make sense. If you're not able to shoot people with right. a nerf gun, that's what relationships are all or, about.
1: Well, the, the, yeah, if we were to have, there are many ways to get deeper here, I suppose, but the, um, the complexity or the perhaps even simplicity of being open eventually seems to require not to put my own words into it too much. Also knowing how to be closed. That's the tricky thing about always being open and being open to anything. Eventually you have to be open to some, something that might seem less like openness, if I may like conflict or. (laughs) Yeah. Since you're,
0: since you're touching on that um, to be clear, it's one of
1: many segues into the, the, yeah, yeah
0: let's se- let' let's, let's, <laughs> let's, let's segue. he just he just gave us a segue. he, he cracked open the door. so yeah. Lee and I's uh, our community leveled up love is a community that stands for conscious, open relationships. Um, what that means is subjective to many people. Some people call themselves ethical, non-monogamous, but mm, you'll find a lot of toxicity in in some areas of ENM as it's called. And Leah and I stand for um, something different. So we've got a community of close to 8,000 people now from 95 countries, and we support people in having truly conscious, open relationships where they can thrive, not just survive. And uh, maybe Leah can can share a little bit more about what we stand for.
2: Yeah, so even getting a bit more specific than just conscious open relationships is we're developing a philosophy around open relating called eco-amory. And the idea of it is that eco-amory involves whether you're coming into an existing relationship or you are the existing relationship and inviting people in, everyone is very mindful of the environment That we're all stepping into as a carefully delicate system of emotions and needs and desires and fears, that we're all humans in this. And the eco aspect is not just being mindful of the environment, but practicing in a way that sets you up for success. Because what we all think, what I think we all really want at the end of the day, is sustainable relationships. A lot of people will say, oh, longevity is not a measure of success and it should as long as you learn something. And okay, but here's the thing. Did any of us really want to lose a relationship we really loved? No. And a lot of them end very painfully when perhaps they could have been preserved and continue to grow and heal each other. But because of the practice of open relating and, and just unconscious relating in general, not limited to open relating at all, they weren't set up for sustainability. So that's why those two pieces really come together to form this philosophy. And that's why security is a big principle for the basis for our community. We we embrace Whatever form of openness or whatever form of relationship people want, but our specialty is really more about cultivating secure feeling, safe feeling, and fulfilling and freeing relationships of any kind with a focus on openness.
1: I don't know if it was uh, some sort of divine intervention, but is this book at all relevant?
2: Thinking in systems—I've never heard of it. <laughs> no, okay.
1: It is well. I think you'd appreciate it. In fact, I, I almost prepared a particular quote from it for some reason, thinking it could be relevant. But thinking in systems is cr- clearly critical. I love how you've integrated ecology into that. And backing up a little bit, of course, I'll—I'll I'll give it an introduction. Um, there's always a chance that somebody sort of skips through it, though. So knowing that's a possibility. We should acknowledge that you both live a polyamorous lifestyle, which in case that wasn't implicit and somebody surprise! skipped. Yeah. <laughs> in case they <laughs> skipped the introduction, which, of course, I hope they didn't, because um, there will be other tidbits that we um, throw in there that you know we'll talk about later. So hopefully that wasn't a surprise, but on, in case it was. So that's a key background for you two. And before going further into ecoamory, which is really juicy and probably worth talking the whole time about can you just Mm -hmm. summarize knowing it probably isn't the easiest thing to summarize and knowing you've probably done it many many times and I apologize if this is the most boring cliche predictable question how you arrived at a a polyamorous um, way of being together
0: yeah so um, I was monogamous and really good at it for most of my life with the same person for 18 years and throughout that 18 year um, being together and married, um, I felt like I felt some shame around the fact that I questioned the idea of being with this one amazing person, but only with this one amazing person for the rest of my life.
1: And Shai, I know you and I have talked about this. When you say really good at it, yeah. I mean, yeah. you by, play by, by the rules of monogamy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. By
0: society standards, I was a hopeless romantic. I bought the flowers and the cards and I was just a romantic person. I was faithful. All the things that that would consider me, quote, good at it. Right. Um, and by society standards, if others looked at us, we were that couple that stayed together that had longevity while others, you know, went in and out of different relationships. And we were like, um, you know, the stewards of conventional thinking around relationships that you meet the one you fall in love and you never fall apart for the rest of your life. So I felt some shame and guilt because, you know, I had crushes on other women. I wanted to express my affinity towards other women, just uh, spend time with other women and couldn't because there were rules against that. And I guess at the time I didn't know what polyamory was I was a little bit confused until I was exposed to a show called Big Love on HBO which for disclaimer was not about polyamory <laughs> it was about poly- polygamy much different in the sense that it is very patriarchal religious system no judgment but it's basically you know you'd think of Utah um, as as a place where there's there are a lot of polygamous people on this show um, on HBO, Big Love just showed what's possible when a man was living with three wives, and it just you know caught my attention. But then, late a few years later, I saw a show called Polyamory, Married and Dating, on Showtime, and I love my premium channels, as you can see. And um, mm-hmm. Kamala Devi uh, McClure uh, was the star of that show. It was a couple of seasons, but really dropping into polyamory where. They followed couples and throuples who were polyamorous in the uh, Southern California area. And I binged on that show with with my my then wife. I was just like mind blown. And this started a a conversation. Um, I think we were already in conversation. um, But this really nudged us over the edge to open up our marriage by my request. Against her desire, but after talking about it for three years and exploring some other monogamous things, she said, Okay, you know, I'm tired of talking about it. Let's just, let's just do it. But uh, it wasn't like she was like the leader of the idea. That was me. And I wasn't trauma informed. I wasn't uh, attachment theory informed. I didn't know anything about anything except that I wanted to love more than one person at a time. And I didn't want to do it by cheating. I wanted to do it honestly and ethically. So we did it, uh, opened up nine years ago and about seven months into it, she asked me for a divorce, which was um, heartbreaking the most heartbreaking thing was sitting down with the kids and saying, mom and dad are getting a divorce and the look in their eyes and the tears in their eyes were like shock, right? Like what you guys get along. I don't understand. What are you talking about? Cause we obviously kept our relationship stuff private and the kids didn't see us fighting. We otherwise got along really well, except for the subject. And after I uh, bounced back from the pain of having these conversations with our kids, I sat back and said, wow, uh, that was painful. What do I do now? So I invited her boyfriend at the time to move in with us. And then I invited my girlfriend at the time to move in with us because I didn't want to have a broken home for my kids. So we ended up living as a little tribe of eight people with four adults and four kids. And everybody got along. That lasted for about three years. And Then there's been other formations and up until recently it's been my partner Leah, my partner Chrissy, Um, our partner Chrissy, I say my, but really Leah and Chrissy have had a really close sisterhood and relationship. So we call her our partner. And then Danielle, my ex-wife, also um, lives here. And then there's three kids and two dogs and two cats and um, we're just a normal American family um, doing doing our thing. And you're a proper where, modern family, proper hey. modern mixed family. And, you know, so Leah has love interests out, outside of this home container. I have love interests. We have love interests together. And um, that's the background that inspired our, our community. But that's the background personally for me. Mm-hmm. Leah's got her own entry point into all of this.
2: Yeah, so you were my entry point of all this. <laughs> uh, I met Shy about three weeks after uh, my monogamous marriage of 12 years. And I, too, was really great at staying physically faithful in monogamy for 25 years. Not so much emotionally.
1: So the same so, kind so- of good at it.
2: Yeah. Never closed a deal, but I absolutely had what would be considered now emotional affairs with other men. So when I met Shai and he immediately disclosed what he was about, he wanted to be in full integrity, explain who he was. Uh, my first inclination was, run! Because <laughs> he was the first person I messaged on online dating after 12 years. And I thought maybe the whole world had lost its mind. <laughs> 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 That's just what, doing. <laughs> what are these kids up to? And, uh, you know, but then I had a pause and I just recognized that it kind of didn't make sense to when I, I had been drawn to so many people throughout my life and I had been loved many times that I'd be trying to love one person for 40, 50, 60 years. It just, I was like, gosh, that is a long time. And it didn't feel natural. And being a person who's a biohacker, I I like to eat paleo and I like to love paleo style. So I often like to think- There's a
1: quote.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I often like to think, what does paleo love look like? So that's sort of the lens that I always ask myself And recognize now where all of my misgivings and wobbles and things, you know, sand traps that I find myself in as I'm still healing so much to make all of this work, I recognize is not from a paleo love template. It really is from our modern template, which has split us off very deeply from how humans have evolved to live over millions of years. 10,000 years of modern living and modern love is a long ways to still unwind. And part of our mission is to stop the chain of wounding that leads people to not thrive if they want to do open relating, like immediate breakups you don't see coming and not being able to be friends with your ex-partners. And not being able to have a lunch with your partner's new partner, like we are about family and stitching back together the community, including through love and blowing apart all the ways that modern life has tried to separate us from each other. But it hasn't been easy. This has been a very long road for my nervous system, uh, deep background in trauma around abandonment and being suppressed and abused and, and things like that. And it's just a path now for us.
0: Yeah. To, to, uh, you know, there's the philosophy of why we do what we do. And then there's the practice of why we do what we do. And I'd love to get into the practice and the trauma healing and the pain and the jealousy and the hardship and and the healing i'd like to get into that next but i just want to touch on a book that when you and i met we talked about sex at dawn which you had also i think uh picked up at some point
1: Um, no uh well actually i will interrupt you um but it'll be relevant to what i it's a good interruption It, it Providing some context because I think <laughs> I promised it's, it's a good, good one. It's a good one. Yeah, good interruption. In terms of I think you and I could be going to a similar place here, <clears throat> but I think um tying a few things in, especially I can imagine listeners, of course, mostly are not in a polyamorous <laughs> relationship. So yeah. um, you know, you you brought in just now, of course, another key topic, Sex at Dawn, which I've never read. I just heard him talk about it. Before I've heard him interviewed and discuss it Um, attachment theory, nervous system regulation, um, communication in general. This is a podcast called Movement Matters. And I think a lot about when I'm presenting this podcast, uh, how does the topic how do I make sure the topic? Relates to movement, or how do I contextualize things so that people understand that it's related to movement? And the link is pretty straightforward. It's always about the nervous system. To me, the foundation for everything is when it comes to this philosophy of movement, if you will. You are life. Life is movement. Being one of our um, foundational sort of ditties here, the nervous system is the key. And the question that I think is helpful, both for how where you were going to go, shy, and I'll, I'll let you just take it from here, or both of you take it from here. But the question. Um, I guess the way I'll word it is, to, and I don't think I know the answer, by the way. I, I'm genuinely curious about this, even though we've talked before, Shy. <laughs> to what extent do you think monogamy is implicitly forced? Which is to say, is it, you know, you just mentioned, thank you. I'm glad you laughed. Again, I don't assume I know the answer here. It's just, I think it's a pretty I think it's a probably predictable question for an audience, for somebody listening here. Like, do they think monogamy is inherently wrong or forced, or especially when you mention the Paleolithic part and evolution, Leah? So tie that into the book if you want, Shy, because I think it does fit.
0: Yeah. Look, I mean, I think I think everything I'm about to say is is like some of it is regurgitated information. And I'm not a an anthropologist or a scientist, but I can say that like based on what I've read. This is what my philosophy and Sex at Dawn touches on the history of relationships and where we came from and how we started as hunter-gatherer tribes. And these hunter-gatherer tribes were fiercely egalitarian. They they hunted for each other. They parented with each other. They loved with each other. There was a certain just uh, absolute giving mindset because that meant surviving. If you were not, if you were a selfish individual, you might not be a part of the tribe anymore. Right. So greed or ownership of anything in particular was not, was not uh, put on a pedestal the way it is today. Today, there's many that look at somebody like Donald Trump, for example, and say, he's such a successful human being. I want to be like him one day. That wasn't where we came from. Right. Right. Um, we came from these fiercely egalitarian tribes and there are, you know, different backstories about the hunter gatherer tribes. And some people would argue that they were barbaric tribes too. So that's not a good point, but at in sex at dawn, they, they talk about tribes where there was no marriage, right? Marriage was not around six to 10,000 years ago. And at some point with the advent of agriculture, Um, man being the stronger of the species decided that they would build this farm and they needed paternal certainty. And they said, Hey, the only way for me to make sure that this farm and all these cows and apple trees (laughs) get passed on to my, to my children um, is to control uh, the sexuality of, of the woman I'm with. So they would essentially offer the woman protection and um, sustenance in exchange for their sexual, sexual rights. They, and over the thousands of years, men have done essentially whatever they wanted to, and women lost their sexual freedom. So in some ways, fast forward to today, uh, women, uh, you know, have experienced the sexual revolution, the feminist movement, all of that, and have gotten back a lot of their rights. But energetically, the patriarchy is still very alive. And for me, polyamory in many ways is the ultimate feminist movement. It says, finally, after thousands of years, women now can have multiple male partners and not be stoned to death, not be jailed. You know, in some parts of the world, they will be stoned to death and jailed. But in America, at least, and the Western world, they won't, and they're standing up and they're speaking up. And a lot of the leaders in the polyamory movement are women that have these TV shows, that have these featured art articles and blog posts and all of that, and just beautiful to see. And you know, I gotta say, when Leah and I post any form of marketing where she's between two guys laying in bed, it's on fire. The
2: women are like, the
0: women are like, <laughs> what the hell? A woman and two men? Like you see all these these pictures of a guy with two women yeah. you know that you know that you can get away with but when you see a
1: woman with two men it just like you know does not compute
2: it's a reclamation <laughs> honestly
1: yeah it's no probably not unless it's implicitly pornographic you probably don't yeah yeah exactly
2: yeah.
0: so uh philo- philosophically um one more point uh which is something seems to be broken no matter how you try to hide from She didn't
1: technically answer my question yet.
0: Yeah, I'm about to. (laughs) (laughs) Something, something seems to be broken. Society uh, gives us the script, you know, through our families and generations past that we're supposed to find the one, get married, and it is monogamy by default for most of us. Just by default, this is just the way it is. So it is, mm, you know, forced upon us in a way. You know, we 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 are. Told, hey, when are you going to get married and, and 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 give me a grandkid, right? Like the pressure from the parents, a standard line. I want to be a grandparent. Go find someone. And I think for a lot of mono- millennials, that's getting old now. I read a statistic that 43% of millennials would be interested in having a non-monogamous relationship. That's huge. There's major shifts happening, and that's why there are thousands of people in our group and tens of thousands of people in other polyamory groups. It's growing really fast because people are starting to wake up to the fact that something is not working, meaning, and I'll finish with this thought, that if 100 people today get married, 50 to 55% will get divorced. Another 20, 30% are going to stay together, but may cheat on each other. And then another who knows what percentage is left won't cheat on each other, but will be resentful in that relationship that won't really feel like they're happy. You're talking about upwards of a 90% fail rate. If you, if, if failing means not living up to forsaking all others till death do us part happily ever after, if we're not living up to that $26,000 wedding wedding vow, I would consider that the average cost of a wedding in America is $26,000. It adds up to a $50 billion industry. And by coincidence, the other industry that's fi- around $50 billion is the divorce industry. So what is going on? We're spending $100 billion doing something that has a 90% fail rate. And I'm like, I'm, I just would like other options to have a seat at the table. Because because there's a lot of broken hearts, a lot of pain, a lot of kids that are suffering, uh, watching these these outcomes. And um, yeah, I can go on and on.
1: Well, that was the closest thing to an answer in that last phrase. (laughs) (laughs) The rest was just background, but that I would like other uh, approaches to be equally valuable, I think, is what you've essentially just call it conscious
0: relating. It's not about monogamy versus non monogamy, but let's at least be honest and aware of what's going down, what's happening. What are the outcomes of our current system? And at least question it enough to have other options get put on the table and just be conscious of it. That's all. Well,
1: Leah, before you answer, that is why I contextualize it as neurological in the nervous system, because what else is there besides more awareness? Everything that I really pay attention to. And I think we all three of us do <clears throat> the, the unifying theme over and over and over almost tyrannically is what's the capacity for more or better and or better awareness um, over and over and over.
2: Right. I, yeah. I, shy I love how you brought in about the movement being a reclamation for women and, and all of that. So around how forced it is, I think that's an interesting concept because I actually don't think of it as being forced necessarily because that almost implies like people know they have a choice, but they are demanded to go only one direction. So the way that I like to think of what happened to love is there used to be a very large dinner menu with many pages that had many options. Because if you really look at evolutionary history, Not all tribes were like the ones that Christopher Ryan described in Sex at Dawn. Many were polyamorous, some were not. Some had multiple wives, some women had multiple husbands. There were every flavor under the rainbow of different kinds of ways that love was used to stitch together a fabric that a society could thrive in there was marriage, actually. There was lifelong pair bonding, but then there were other lovers who were available to provide support and resources. So it really came in all different flavors.
0: Not modern marriage, just to, to yeah, like, not
2: correct modern it, marriage correct as an as, as an institution like it is now with tax benefits. Commitment. There was commitment <laughs> and pairing between people for the purposes of that stability and whatnot. So what I think happened is it's like this modern society deleted all of the other pages of the menu. (laughs) And it's like you got page one only when you sit down at the restaurant and it's a prefix menu and it only includes these things. And that's your only choice. So then as a result, in terms of how relationships Break it's your up. only
1: choice unless you have the power to be hypocritical, socially acceptably hypocritical. To
2: right, so the compulsory it part doesn't
1: actually work as you. It's not even what was done for centuries, actually. That,
2: right, right. So what know. I think the compulsory part is: what happens when you start to question that paradigm and say, "Do you have anything off menu? What's the what's the chef special tonight?" And everyone in the restaurant's like, <gasps> "Oh." Did you just ask that? No, stay on page one. That's where I think the compulsory part comes in because we're terrified of being cast out of this modern tribe of society. And in ancient times, to be cast out of the tribe was death. And now, anything that makes us fundamentally different or at odds with our modern society tribe is dangerous. So we'll compromise our own interests in order to stay in the guardrails of page one of the menu. So being forced is interesting. I don't know that people are forced in. They're certainly trained in as the only option, but the questioning of it is where I think the forcing comes in.
1: I like the word you shifted to the compulsivity, the compulsory, because force, like you said, could imply that there's a choice. Um, I think in general, if there was awareness, one would not choose to force things. It is a compulsion. I think that's a good distinction. And in fact, the, compulsivity in general is a big theme that I <clears throat> have increasingly been honing in on and like actually thinking more and more specifically about how culture in general, but definitely our culture, the one we're primarily commenting on, to the best of our ability, um, I think unintentionally, again, if it was more aware, we probably wouldn't do it, unintentionally creates compulsive tendencies. Uh, this being one that you guys are you two are very much focused on. (laughs) And I guess the nature of the question more to the point of what Shai said about, um, well, you both said it, the menu, so to speak, metaphor. It's not a, you're not suggesting to be blunt that polyamory is the right way, the only way. Yeah.
2: I don't actually think the generations of people that are alive on the planet today most of them will be equipped to handle a transition from the way we have been indoctrinated. It takes an an immense drive and commitment to be self-reflective and aware and practice conscious communication and heal trauma. And we're still at the cusp of just becoming aware of how deep our trauma runs. But I do believe since most of the parents alive today are practicing monogamy, they will indoctrinate that into the next generation. But to Shai's point, it's encouraging that millennials are beginning to question that because it's not wartime. Their needs, their basic survival needs are met really well, better than I think any generation has been past. So they have the nervous system resources and stability to begin asking questions. What else is out there? Is there more?
0: you know i think that flexible relationships are if i'm being honest philosophically
1: um that's preferred yeah and you guys have cursed far too little given the warm-up that you. yeah Um,
0: (laughs) i think that polyamory is fucking better man this is
1: better i believe (laughs) you that's what i think you think shy
0: but i agree i agree (laughs) I, i agree that we're most are just not ready. Well, why
1: else would you be doing it if you didn't believe that? To yeah, some yeah. Extent. yeah. I, th- I think that
0: that it's about recognizing and I've had a hard time recognizing it myself. I was a polyvangelist in the beginning. I was like, no, I have no idea why anybody would do monogamy. It's dumb. <laughs> it's just dumb. Now, that could hurt people's feelings because you're talking about their way of life being in question. You're talking about everything they've like, literally the foundation of their life is to be married to be with one person, to have that ride or die person right next to you till the day you die. It is embedded in our psyche and almost in our DNA. And it's hard to let go of it's, it's transgenerational, right? It's deep. So for me to say that it's bad or wrong or anything like that, you know, you know, people don't appreciate that. And I don't appreciate myself for having said things like that in the past. So my change, my tune, my tune is more about, not about monogamy or polyamory being better. It's about conscious relating. It's being conscious of what is this relationship style serving? What what is any relationship serving? What is the point? And the, what I've come up with is that bottom line, we're all just trying to be happy, forget everything else. We're just trying to be happy human beings. And we're happier when we're safe, when we're seen, when we feel loved and connected with um, when we have adventure and variety uh, when we're growing and healing and when we're in service to other people, that's when we're all happy. That is like the template. If you will, these six core human needs that I just mentioned are literally the blueprint for happiness. And what I found is that the 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 strategy or the style, the style of relating called monogamy may not for everyone get all their needs met. And I want people to at least be conscious of other possibilities and have conscious relationships with their partner where if they are not feeling emotionally safe or seen or have or having sex at all in the relationship and they want sexual connection, um somebody you know a couple might have different, uh, libidos at any given time in their relationship, and they're not addressing that. One person is not interested in sex, which is fine, but the other person is, is, is dying for sex and nobody's doing anything about it. They're not being conscious about it. They are stuck in a long-term monogamous marriage and they can't do anything about it, period, end of story. That's not being conscious. That's sweeping a problem under the rug. Hmm. And then furthermore, when you talk about these needs, Having the freedom to explore experiences that help us grow and heal and be in service to other people has been life giving for me. I've grown in spades in every way erotically, emotionally, intellectually, even professionally, spiritually, because I've had so many more experiences that I would not have had had I continued down the path of monogamy. And also, Another core human need is, again, contribution and service. I've been in contribution and service in so many ways, and that's been life-giving too. So for me, let's get conscious and aware of each other's core human needs and then ask ourselves, work backwards, well, which strategy of relating do we want to choose in order for your six jars to get filled and my six jars to get filled? And then- and then that, to me, is being in a conscious relationship. For some people, monogamy is the style, is the strategy uh, to get all all twelve jars filled. But for many, sadly, I can't say that's true.
1: Oh, good. There was a pause. Okay, I'll take it. I'll take the reins for a second there. <clears throat> um, good. Appreciate all of that. I think we've. I think trauma is a word to, to unpack a little bit more. I'm curious about where that can go because it's used a lot. It's a word that's used a lot and appropriately so. But I don't know if the meaning is necessarily um, clear enough in general, not just in this context. And this thinking in systems book is actually extremely relevant, but we'll talk about that some other time. I'll only, I'm only bringing it back in because I think the primary, I'm curious how this lands with you. Um i've been using this phrase cornering yourself it 's almost like the main um pathology that you can see when there's some sort of trauma is a you you are looking only in the corner you're you've unintentionally i think positioned yourself so that the only thing you can see in front of you is a corner. Mm, I love that it makes sense, especially because of course you we know you know somebody who's looking at somebody doing that knows they're you could turn around and the corner isn't the only option but well, i don't need to jump to the butt <laughs> why that happens is not i don't think very i don't think it's very obvious but i think it has to do with this trauma and compulsivity component the it's not a monkey wrench and it's not it, there is no um uh argument to be made in any particular way here as far as i can tell I think the, the most important piece, no matter how you look at trauma is to recognize there's a, the corner isn't, you can't just get rid of the corners though. Like there's something about the corners that still matters. Like if we were to just blast away all the 90 degree angles, which arguably are unnatural, you could say the 90 degree angles are, you know, that's what makes a corner, right? It's arguably unnatural. They don't exist, so to speak, quote unquote, in nature. Sure. Wow, yeah That's is cool. our they don't I've looked. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could say like certain rocks mm-hmm. form very similar angles, but even then it's quite different. So our creation of something like that, um, however much it has served something, does have this relate I think it does link with this trauma and compulsivity, kind of like an overall um, control mechanism in a way what I'm getting it is I don't personally think that in any way, no matter what the, did you say millennials shy? That, yeah. The millennials, however open they're getting and however much matrix four is about the, whatever it's about and blah, blah, blah. And however, <laughs> and, ador- and Ali Wong, I think if you watched it was, was wonderfully provocative. Um, the last special, that, did you watch it by the way? Mm-mm, no, no. I, you got, you got to watch it. Um, it's relevant in that she still ends with, saying that she's happily monogamous. and But the basic point is I don't think personally that we can simply go all open to, and get rid of all the corners and get rid of all the foundation and all the structure and everything that's come before, even, so to speak, this terribly toxic patriarchy. I don't think we can get rid of it completely without then risking going to some other equally destabilizing and traumatic extreme. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Well, that's the dance then. <laughs> yeah, that's the dance.
2: Yeah, I'd love to weigh in. So Please someone mentioned uh, mentioned a book to me, I can't wait to read, called Pendulum, that talks about the way that human societies' rules and structures have swung wildly between extremes, between the extreme of freedom and the extreme of connection and control. And we're yet to really find this like sweet, juicy middle of everything that I love to find, which is how how do we how do we walk that line, right?
1: Well, the middle. I, mean, I was I was waiting, <laughs> but I, I think that's actually in that metaphor and all of these metaphors and analogies is the fundamental point. The middle is never isn't a destination.
2: That's right, why the right, cor- so. that's why
1: the corner being the you know the most sort of closed sp- situation a picture it may even go even further a coffin, the most traumatic kind of corners if you will, and then blast it all away and have just the absolute wild like the middle is not a destination is really yeah. I think the issue here. We're so who- compulsively trained to think in terms of destinations though. Oh
2: oh yes. That's definitely the American dream. But what you're talking about with trauma is so interesting because, you know, what I love about when you get really start to really understand the mechanics of trauma, you get to blow apart a lot of the new agey tropes that are plaguing Instagram and these things like, you are responsible for all your feelings. If I hurt you, it's your fault, it's your feelings. And there's this sort of way that we have. Gotten to not take responsibility for how we move through the world and how we affect others, and we don't understand how that is triggering people's trauma. So I think the first people thing people can do
1: is that referencing like a like like anti-victim thing. Like yes, like you're yeah. own, like don't be a victim, kind don't of don't vi- okay. don't
2: be a victim. The whole drama triangle and and all of that stuff. And there's like a very dogmatic adherence to that that I think is allowing people to hide behind taking responsibility to a degree for the way they impact others. And when you start to understand trauma, really, I I honestly think every relationship, whoever's listening, would benefit from reading two books. One is called Attached by Amir Levine, and the other is called Complex PTSD, which is a condition that I believe most humans suffer from to some degree, because of the way that we were parented and the way our relationships unfolded. And when you begin to understand traumatology truly, you begin to understand the scope of the definition is any experience that permanently changed the way that we interpret and respond to this world that may not be productive. So if you are triggered by anything In a way where you're like, really, like, even the littlest thing, most likely there is an unhealed trauma sitting under that. And that makes the definition very broad, very big scope. But when we do that, I believe we start to cultivate an awareness of just how traumatized the current Earth's population is and what we're carrying and begin to develop a more nuanced, juicy middle ability to respond to each other, to co-regulate each other, to self-regulate and begin to build on what you're talking about, this nervous system, stability that is the foundation for expanding into a fulfilled life.
1: Go for it, Chai. I mean, yeah, I, I have a thought too, and thank you, Leah, but go for it, Chai. Yeah. I like yeah so, <laughs> <laughs> so, so I
0: don't want to interrupt anyone, but but it's useful when you guys talked about journeys. So the opposite is, uh, I'm sorry, destinations. So the opposite is is the journey, right? We're all on this journey, and and the journey is to strike balance. In the case of anything in life, we want to find the middle. I think the middle path between boiling hot water and freezing cold water, right? Like we we're trying to find a way to to stay warm, if you will,
1: and so you, you say the goldilocks out. zone i mm-hmm. love that I, I i literally use that in reference to how one organizes their bones it's such a good metaphor yeah <laughs> goldilocks that shit i think i say it every day. <laughs> good yeah so right. it, it,
0: you use that you can use that analogy anywhere um in terms of finding the middle in the case of as an example of polyamorous relationships there are different people that do this. Um, do it differently. So we believe in striking the balance between the safety and the nervous system of one partner and the freedom of the other partner. So we back out of that corner. We look around and we see that there are other options out there too. And we're like, all right, what feels like that sweet middle between protecting my partner's nervous system and taking responsibility, having the ability to respond to my partner's trauma, abandonment, trauma, jealousy, whatever you want to call it, and still have the freedom to explore all the experiences that allow me to grow and heal and be in service to other people. And that's what we stand for. We stand for those nuances as we're open relating with and connecting with other people. And I'll put some color on that. So Leah and I are dating a person named Heather. Heather is married. What does that look like in terms of striking balance for both Leah and Heather's husband, who may have some little bit more challenging moments, is we come up with seatbelts and speed limits and airbags, whatever you want to call it, to to what we do. We do outreach to each other. Like I outreach to her husband, I, I am proactive. Leah is proactive and outreaching to Heather. Heather is pro encouraged to be proactive and reaching out to Leah. And then we all start to develop this balance of like, okay, what does everybody need? Oh, okay. The husband needs for Heather to not spend two weeks at our house. The husband needs for it to be a progression and stair-step the relationship and, you know, visit once a month and see how things are going for his nervous system. You know, Leah might need something that is more close to home where the three of us are together and she may not want to see intimacy and close proximity um, between Heather and I, um, even though I would be fine if they were intimate with each other in front of me. So these are the nuances that we look for so we can have that, we can strike that balance during on our journey, right? There's no perfect destination and we're not trying to reach some sort of like perfect state of anything, we're just paying attention, because at the end of the day, this is my, my one of my phrases, is and, and, and I probably stole it somewhere. But we're all just walking each other home. That's Ram Das. <laughs> Thank you, Ram Das said.
1: We're all that's a shy. Home. That's a shy uh, original. It's yeah, and, sure. and and
0: and I we're all walking audience. each other home, and no, nobody's getting out alive, right? We're all headed in the same direction. The question is, what are we, how are we walking each other home? Are we watch, walking each other home with respect, responsibility, grace? Or are we like running off and doing our own thing? Or are we slowing down to tie each other's shoes? If we notice that shoelaces are are undone or holding each other's hands or stopping to slow down and, and check in with each other. And that's what we kind of stand for where in other, you know, relation, uh, other people doing open relationships, they don't really do that. And it's just an important reminder to like, take care of each other and,
1: and do it uh, more consciously. Yeah.
2: And we want that for
1: everybody. Yes. So, <laughs> communication is is the one of many themes throughout this, and of course, mm-hmm. it's the the primary word that fits in with um, the event you're going to do here, the workshop. I I jokingly mentioned the <clears throat> um flavor of aggression before we started recording, right? And it was a joke, and it is mostly a joke. And I also see, because there, there's so much to consider, and there is a priority in terms of what to consider. I think openness is the priority. Slowing down and and paying attention to your nervous system, so to speak, this nervous system regulation, not being reactive, et cetera, et cetera. These, I'm, I'm just oversimplifying it, to say the least right now. But the tricky thing that I have very personally noticed, I can speak to this on a s- extremely personal level, is I think, and I'm curious, of course, what you two think of this, and we do have about 10 minutes left. I have come from, my perception of myself is I have come from this over-policing in terms of communication approach where it's so overly considerate and so prone to taking responsibility and so um, committed to seeing the lesson over and over and over that sometimes now i've wondered okay actually it maybe there's a moment where it is actually there is nothing inherently wrong about feeling frustrated and just showing that in a relatively pure raw quite frankly paleolithic probably kind of way
2: yeah i don't think they were worried about dancing each around
1: each other's feelings back then. No, and I'm being very diplomatic in how I word it, but I think it's not easy. I think that's even, to what extent, I guess the question, if there needs to be one, since I guess I've introduced it relatively well enough, is that part of our evolution in this, um, this, yeah, this evolution, no matter what the context of the relationship. I think I've laid out my, perspective at the moment relative bias but what do you two think if that was clear enough
2: so uh are you saying that conscious communication is really kind of the bedrock of making all of this work right because this is a subject
1: that seems you know, to be here. the through line that we've we've intended the whole time yes and before okay. we started recording a theme i think that's yeah. fairly accurate yeah if you but, want but something I've, to work, so to speak. Yeah,
2: yes. But what you're also talking about, this is an interesting thing around full expression, right? So in uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, there I cursed, made sure we kept that going, um, Mark Manson <laughs> talks about um, the Russian way of communicating versus the Western uh, Oh, I culture. remember
1: that. Yeah, yeah. He does, and he,
2: right. he expressed how incredibly direct... Russians tend to be because it engenders trust between them secrecy and minimizing feelings and things is a danger zone for them we are quite the opposite and I think part of that is because we it's it's two extremes again where here we are quite sensitized to people yelling In general, none of us here have grown up with a sense that when we make mistakes, that's allowed. We don't grow up believing our emotions are allowed. I I watched a a father just yesterday at go-karts. His daughter was crying because she messed something up. And the dad was, the father was very uh, sweet about it, like understanding But as soon as she began her catharsis of releasing her emotions and expressing herself, he went into the mode that I've seen parents and people do, which is, no, 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 no. it's okay. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. There's no reason to get upset. Not a big deal. And that's in general how we have become in our communicating. We don't believe it's a safe thing to express our feelings. So we withhold them and we suppress them. That's what I did when I came into this. And we are not trained to hold the emotions of others in a safe way either because it's terrifying for us. We never got those skills. Well, and I'll
1: add, it It seems like we're excessively prone to making everything about ourselves, quite frankly, as well. Well, that's that's true.
2: Yeah. And for me, you know, relationship freedom for me is not being able to not just having sex with whomever I want. That's not my priority. Freedom to me is inner emotional freedom. Can I be myself and express my feelings in a kind way, not, not too aggressive way, but can I be forthcoming and kindly direct and assertive and expressive to the people I care about? And that's for me where real relationship safety begins. And
0: so I think, and- I think, I think we're back to the conversation of balance. We're talking about there's always a spectrum one on one side of the spectrum is aggression, full unadulterated expression of every feeling that you, you, you have versus the other end of the spectrum, which somebody communicates with like, um, as a people pleaser, they don't want to get anybody upset. They're always so polite. They're so grounded. Let's work through this. Love, 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 love. That that was me. Yeah. That was you. So (laughs) And now you're questioning whether you should be tapping in into something a little bit more. So what happens sometimes with people is the pendulum starts to swing to the other side and it's, you know, so what we're going to be teaching in our communication workshop is how to strike that balance of, 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 um, between those two extremes. Right. I think that, you know, there are people who are like, no, there must be full expression. You need to release everything. I think that can be toxic sometimes. If that's all people oh, do or if, totally, if, they, yeah. if they do it too much. Um, And then on the flip side, the other, the other part can also be damaging. So I think like how I, like I had a dispute with someone today, for example, and there was just a communication, somebody had canceled on plans that, that were not easy to, for me to replace. And they just did it in a way that was, Hey, I've decided to not do this. Sorry. Thanks for. Thanks for uh, understanding. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, okay. So I totally understand that this happened and this is why you needed to do. Thanks for taking care of yourself. Now, please allow me to take care of myself. Here's my expression Um, based on this decision. This is the, you know, action that, that I'm taking as well. And thank you very much for letting me express myself as well. So it's kind of like balance. It's not judgmental. It's honoring their perspective of why they made their decision and holding that. So making it about them. And then also making it about you and figuring out how to strike like a good balance between, between the two, the two extremes. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. How can you be honest and still elicit someone's compassion? I think is that juicy middle and I think for me, nonviolent communication is really the foundation for that, if people wanna learn. And I will say, sometimes someone crosses a boundary and we call it peeing on each other's legs. Sometimes someone does something or repeats a pattern that you felt was addressed and it can require a heavier hand, but as in parenting, I believe relationships sometimes require correction and discipline, but not punishment.
1: Yeah. So you said some, use. the the Go word ahead mis- ahead. mistake, but that's great. Yeah. Not everything has to be crime and punishment. That's why that, that book is timeless to some right. extent. Um, that it, <laughs> that's again, touching on the core trauma and the compulsive, uh, the excesses and the compulsivity that we're describing here. the, And the fact that awareness isn't a destination as well, and it requires constant noticing things and asking questions over and over and over. And what you just said there about um, punishment goes with the mistakes. Mistakes are not implicitly immoral (laughs) at all. There's nothing about it that has to be moral. Not even like it probably isn't, most likely.
2: They're required. It's the only way we're going to learn, frankly. And you know, for me, being trauma aware in my case is knowing that I don't actually care as much with the mistake. Sure, I get a bit judgmental sometimes and I fall in the you should have known trap, I, but I work to stay out of that. However, my big trigger comes if I'm hurt by someone some way and there's no acknowledgement of my pain or taking appropriate responsibility for it. Like, oh, well, it was your fault. Oh, it's not a big deal. And that's the sort of bypassing that I believe is creating a lot of scarring in relationships. Because we also don't know how to take responsibility. It was never modeled for me as a child. Any transgression was always covered over and ignored. And I've never heard my family apologize for anything in, in their entire life. So now that is a core part of my need but it is sourced from a a traumatic place, right? So that's where that awareness is helpful. And I seek partners who are able to own their shit because that's what I'd like to do. And that's what I feel leads to reconciliation.
1: I don't think you said this, but it's a little, I guess I'm not totally clear. Does responsibility inherently mean that you apologize?
2: Yeah, in some form or another, uh, we just finished reading a book called The Five Languages of Apology. Okay. Most people don't know that exists. They know the love languages, but they don't know that the, a similar book exists. And a lot of people are like, well, there are no mistakes and no one does anything wrong. And it's always the person who hurts themselves. And I just don't believe that's true. If you run someone over with your car and they're dead, if you, re- if you meant to run them over, it was an accident, the correction might be different, but wow. the consequences of that are exactly the same. And if you took no responsibility, if you were like, well, they shouldn't have been standing there in the road, or why were they on the sidewalk and got in the way of my car? That's kind of what we're doing. And it's more just saying, what's Shit. a more re-
1: like day-to-day example though? Cause that's, that's a relatively extreme, even though I can see how somebody might not sure. want to take responsibility. it's a Relatively sure. uncommon, so, thank God.
2: <laughs> let's say, let's say you're supposed to do a chore, some kind of household responsibility every day, like the dishes. And when one person really handles that, it makes the other person feel calm and safe and they don't have to pick up the slack and all that stuff. But a few days goes by and the dishes are sitting in the sink and they're piled up and they're smelly and there's bugs and whatever. And the person addresses that saying, Hey, I'm noticing you, the dishes aren't done. What's going on? Like this was our agreement. And that person says, you know, I'm just really busy and you're always nagging me. And uh, you should just do it yourself. If it matters that much to you, there's some Mm -hmm. deflecting that happens rather than, Oh shit, that was my responsibility. And, you know, I was so tired, but I should have let you know that I wasn't going to be able to get it done and we could have collaborated on it. I should have communicated very different energies yeah. there.
1: Yeah, that's a good example. So it's almost as if to say, if you're truly interested in <clears throat> consistently connecting and for the quality of the connection to be good and, and and enjoyable and some people value fun, which, you know, and that playfulness, I think everybody values fun, of course, not to sound iconic, mm-hmm. then the responsibility is an ingredient for that. Taking responsibility is not just a hassle. It's an ingredient in that kind of yes. dynamic. Yeah, And you can see it as a hassle
2: or you can see it as an ingredient. Right. <laughs> You'll have a different relationship depending on your perspective.
1: Amen to that. That might be a good place to pause. Yeah, shy, you feeling that? Yeah. <laughs> it's like,
2: oh, yeah.
1: Good, good, good spot. <laughs> good. good spot awesome all right we'll leave it at that okay yeah thank you so much for thank having you. us it's this been was lovely. a
0: pleasure we'll have to do it again sometime we're looking forward to coming and presenting in person at coru and let us know uh, if anybody has any questions you can find us at leveleduplove.com. it's easy to find
1: Yeah, we'll make sure everything... It'll put it, like I mentioned, before we started recording, some newsletter uh, tidbits are coming out soon. It's okay. Nice. All right. Thank you both. Appreciate it so much. Thank you. you.
0: Thank you. Make it a great day, everyone.
1: (laughs) Bye. Bye. All right. That was fun, wasn't it? Come meet them. It'll be really worth it. March 23rd, I guarantee you they're... They're a lot of fun and they're sweet. And I know I'm going to learn a lot. I keep learning a lot from them by being in communication and by being in community. I'm not going to mention any more about Johnny Cash, even though it's very tempting. And there's so much more to say about community. Cause I think it's this word that inherently sounds good. Like, Oh, that sounds like a good thing that I want to care about. I want to, have uh, be a part of and and endorse and support and engage with but for what why what is it what is it even community community is inherently you know it's sort of natural it's implicit it's natural what forms this particular community that one may or may not want to engage in what what are the the deeper binding elements. The word unity being the key word there, it's implicit that there's meant to be something about a community that is unified and unifying. What is it? That's the thing that's not always clear, but that's a big part of what, why I enjoy spending the time with Shia and Leah, because that is a focus. Specificity is a focus. I have a lot to say about unity, but I'm not gonna do that right now, because the episode's over. (laughs) and y'all have heard me enough. Maybe on the next one. Actually, I guarantee you, I'll do it in the next one. On that note, see you there. Next episode is going to be with my brother-in-law and a podcast sponsor, the Philadelphia Table Company. It's Philadelphia Table Company's own Paul Menzel. See you there. Thanks as always.